There we go. If you're just joining us uh, for the first time today, um, welcome to you. We're also in a book called Acts, and if you're new to the Bible, Acts is in the New Testament, and go ahead and turn there. Now, the Gospels, uh, I say the same preview every week to kind of familiarize yourself with the Bible if you don't know it already, but the Gospels are the stories of Jesus. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts is uh, actually just, um, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, okay? So it's just after the last gospel. And uh, Acts is the story of the church. And uh, Acts is the background for many of Paul's letters. So when you read 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those kinds of books in the Bible, those are letters from Paul to churches. The book of Acts is the story of Paul going to those churches to minister to them. So we've been in this book. This is actually part 16 of this, of this uh, series, and we have a little ways to go. So if you think you've seen a lot of trilogies that, um, it, with movies and whatnot, this is like, I'm not sure what you would call this, but this is part 16. So um, I don't have a word for that. But um, I do want to pull up a map here so you can kind of know where we're at in the world, in the story. And I've got my laser pointer here, so just make sure it works on you guys. Um, now, uh, I know that they teach, like, geography in school, and I'm sure you all love it. Do you not? Don't you love it? Um, this is the Mediterranean Sea, and so Paul is going around to uh, all these various places on foot and also by ship. He really can't walk across water there, so by ship. And, uh, and so today we find ourselves in this little town called Troas. Man, I can't even hold that steady. Look at that. Uh, Troas. And then we're going to eventually go over here to Miletus later on in the story. So that's where we're at uh, in the world. And by the way, that's not Florida. That's Greece, okay? Just so you know, that's Greece over here. Uh, over here is Israel. So um, you guys are like, I only know the U.S. map. I thought that that's all we had to know in life. So, um, so that's where we're at today. And uh, look with us in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7. And today the plan is, I'm just going to like yell at you for like 30 minutes, and then you'll have some discussion at the end. So that's the plan for today. So verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week, and so they're in Troas, on the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on and on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. I love this story. It's so uplifting. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him and said, Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So, what in the world do we do with that story? Let's discuss this for a few moments. So, what they would do back in the early church is they would share not just teaching like this. They would also share a meal. They would share communion. They would drink wine. They would eat bread to symbolize um, the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And so this would all happen all in one big meeting. It's not like here you kind of come to church for 
30 minutes, then go home. It was very much like an all-day, and in this case, an all-night event. And so they're sharing food together. This is partly why um, we've tried to reintroduce the idea of food back into every element of church here, because if you don't notice, we feed you guys here a lot. We feed you guys here all the time, Sundays, Wednesdays, Sundays, Wednesdays. And for some of you guys, it's the only reason why you come, right? I know that's true for some of you. Uh, But we're trying to feed you physically and spiritually because we think this is a biblical idea. So if if your parents ask you questions like, okay, why do you guys get donuts and cinnamon rolls and Captain Crunch? It's in the Bible. That's why... That's why we do this for you here. So, so here's what happened in this story. Listen, in this story, Paul, it says that he's leaving the next day. He knows he's leaving, so he talks until midnight. Now, one of the worst things for a pastor is to know he's preaching his last sermon, right? If he knows he's preaching for the last time to these people, he's going to take a lot of time. He's going to take all night, right? until someone falls asleep and dies because of it. Now, it says in verse 8, it says in verse 8 that there were like lamps in the room. So you can picture this. They're in this upper room, so heat rises. Lots of people inside. There are lamps lit. There are torches lit, so that's adding to the heat. And so it's hot. It's crowded. It's late. People are hungry. This is always a bad combination, right? There's nothing worse than like sitting there listening to someone talk. You're hungry. You're tired. You're hot. You know, it's just, if the AC in here broke, you guys would be, like, throwing fruit at me, okay? Like, you would literally be, like, upset that we're still here if the AC in here broke. So, it, it's hot. They're tired. They want to go home. But, um, but so, Eutychus, in verse 9, it says that Eutychus, he's sitting in a window, and he starts getting a little sleepy. Now, um, has anyone laughed out loud in church at the guy who does the head bob while he's trying to, he's, he's trying to fight off sleep, and he's just going... He's doing this number. He's going. Like, you've all seen that guy. You've sat behind that guy before. So um, this is happening to Eutychus. And uh, how many guys do that frequently in church anyway? You, You do the head bob thing. It's just, and it's like it jolts you out of your, but you keep doing it over and over again. So this is what Eutychus is doing. And uh, so at some point, he falls out of the window, and he dies. And I would say this is definitely the funniest death in the Bible by far, okay? It is the one that you read, and you go, you laugh out loud, and you're like, okay, next chapter, right? So, so it, just, it just seems like that this is, this is, when Eutychus dies here, it almost seems like Luke is putting this in the Bible, in, in this book, because he's like, okay, we're on, we're on Acts chapter 20, Let's entertain them a little bit. They've read 19 chapters up till now, so let's go ahead and entertain them a little bit, and let's make sure they have some comic relief here. So now Paul goes down. He raises this guy to life, um, which, first of all, can you imagine if, if this guy stayed dead? Like, can you imagine this guy's parents, like, having to tell that story, right? Um, so I'm really sorry to hear about your son, but how did he die? Well, he fell asleep during a sermon. You're like... Oh, sorry. Sorry to hear that. Um, so, I mean, this would not have been a fun story to tell if you're his parents. So, um, here's the moral of the story for this, this part of the chapter. Don't you ever fall asleep during my sermons. Ever. Okay? 
because I will leave you dead, all right? I will leave you dead. I don't have the power that Paul had, but if I did, I wouldn't even use it because you deserve to die if you fall asleep during my sermons, okay? Just so you know. Just so you know. Now, the second thing I want you to know about is this. Listen up. The second thing you should know is don't ever complain about uh, church sermons being too long because I have never killed anyone because I've preached too long. I've never done that. Uh, You get hungry, yes, but I've never killed any of you because I've gone the entire evening and the, till, till morning time. So, so after all this, Paul goes back upstairs. He preaches until morning. So he's just raised up a guy from the dead, and he just goes back to preaching, right? He just, he just goes right back into preaching, right back into teaching the Word of God. So, so here we are at the end of the story. What, what do you make of this story when, when you first hear it? At first, it just seems like just a comical story, but I think if you really look at it, Look at how these people craved teaching and community. Look at how these people, on the, they were on the recipient end of this sermon by Paul. Look at how much they craved the Word of God. Look at how much they craved just being together as the body of Christ. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do, do we crave it like this? Most of us, and I'm the same way, most of us were like, okay, 25 minutes, dude, it's all you have, and we're out, Okay. We're texting, we're, Facebook, we're doing something else. We, we'll give you 25 minutes max, and that's it. We're out after that. And these people craved what Paul had to say to them. These people craved being together. And so from this point of the story, Paul goes on to the town I mentioned before called Miletus, and he invites these uh, elders of the church uh, from Ephesians. And um, from Ephesus, and these are the Ephesian elders. So he's, he's now gone from this town to a town called Miletus. He invites the Ephesian elders to come and meet him there, and he's going to preach to them one last time. So these are two times in this chapter Paul does two last sermons, and he goes on and on and on. So the second part of the chapter is kind of long, so I began thinking about how can I uh, teach this to you guys and not give you like 40 verses to look at. So here's what I decided to do today. This was going to be Paul's last sermon to the Ephesians. And so I thought about it this way. What if we just approached it like this idea in mind? If, if I were to preach to you one last time, what thoughts would I want to leave you with? If this was our last time here together, what thoughts would I want to leave you with? I even thought about this morning getting up here and just surprising you and saying, well, uh, I have an announcement to make. Thank you. Today is going to be my last Sunday. But then I thought you would like all clap and applaud, so I don't want to do that. So, um, so, so, so I didn't say that in that way. Uh, but instead of just reading Paul's words, I wanted to um, ask the question, if, if I just had one last shot with you guys, what kind of things would I want to say? But I don't want to just go off on my own tangent. I want to use what Paul said to the Ephesians as a pattern for what I want to say to you this morning, okay? And so if there's some essential truths that I want you to hang on to, if this was our last time together, um, we're going to summarize those today from the rest of this chapter. Let me just start by saying, um, I'll tell you kind of why I went into youth ministry to begin with. Uh, When I was in college, I was an intern at a church for several years up in Arlington, and I loved volunteering or being an intern in that ministry 
but I never felt fully called to full-time ministry, at least not like I'm currently doing. I always felt like that was not really for me. But something began to kind of tick inside of me when I was working with these kids where I just started thinking to myself, these kids have such deep and profound questions about God. These kids have such deep, and, 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 they're, and they're longing for meaningful answers. And, and what I saw, it was a great uh, group that we had, but what I saw so often was that in youth groups, we tend just to, like, entertain, mostly entertain, and then throw in a little bit of Bible, right? That's what most of us get trapped into doing as youth pastors, And so I just thought to myself, I don't want to do it like that. I want to make sure that we're able to give content. We're able to really teach the Bible and and hopefully have it meet you where you're at and hopefully have it answer the questions that you're struggling with in your life. And and so I don't mean this to sound arrogant. I'm not trying to be arrogant about this, but I just felt like there was something just not happening in youth ministry in that regard. And I'm sure that we fall short even here, but we're trying. And so I felt this this pull in this direction toward working with high school kids, and I've loved every minute of it, but the reality is I was asking the question, how can we push them to grow? How can we talk to them like adults because we're trying to help them become adults? How can we push them down that road and not just fall into the trap of entertainment, 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 and oh yeah, here's some Bible we're going to throw at you. How can we balance that? And so that has been my mission and my goal is to try to, to, to inspire you to understand the Scriptures, to try to inspire you into a walk with Christ that is life-giving. And so what I want to do this morning is, is take some of the ideas that Paul laid out in this chapter, and I want to put them in question form so they invoke a response in your own minds. And so the first question I want to ask you is, will you believe everything the Bible says? Will you believe everything the Bible says? Will you believe what it says about sexuality? Will you believe what it says about heterosexuality and homosexuality? Will you believe what it says about sexual identity? Will you believe what it says about the difficult issues that we face in our culture? When you hold up the Bible to what your culture is telling you, which one are you going to believe? When it comes to issues like doubt, fear, suffering, will you believe what the Bible says about those things? Will you believe what the Bible says about love relationships? Will you believe what the Bible says about evolution and creation? Will you believe what everything that the Bible says, will you believe it in faith? And I know that in a room like this, this size, this many people, there's a ton of skeptics and cynics in here. I know there are. There has to be. Every person in the room is not on the same wavelength in here right now. I know that to be true. Every, everyone has different places that you're at. But the question you have to wrestle with is, will you believe everything the Bible teaches, even when it goes against the culture that you're in, even when it goes against your friends' opinions? I'm amazed at how many people will, that, are, that are so-called Christians will their friend will tell them what they think about the Bible, and then they, they take their friend's opinion, and they weigh it against Scripture, and their friend's opinion wins out. That, that just blows me away how, how often that happens. Let's see, the Bible, my friend's opinion. I'm taking the friend's opinion. 
That's what many of us do. And so we believe everything that the Bible says, even the, the things that go against your culture. I think so many of you in this room, you pick and you choose what you want to believe about the Bible. Like a buffet table, you just kind of go, I want this, I'll take some of this, I'll take some of this, I'm going to leave that, I'll leave this, and I'll leave that, because I don't like those things. And I know that the Bible has some crazy stuff in it. I know that the Bible has some things that seem unbelievable, but your friend's opinions are just as unbelievable, if not more unbelievable than that. And so will you believe everything that the Bible has in it? Question number two, will you truly believe in Jesus and repent from sin? Will you truly believe in Jesus and repent from sin? In this passage, Paul first tells the Ephesians, he says, I have taught you everything that I know. I've taught you everything. And so we, we don't leave anything out here. We try to talk about the whole Bible. We try to talk about everything the Bible has in it, and that includes believing in Jesus and repenting and turning from sin. So are you someone that will truly believe in Jesus and repent from sin, or will you just be someone who just attends church? Will you be someone who just goes to church, is a part of a youth group, or will you truly, personally believe in Jesus and repent and turn from sin? Now, when I say the word belief, many people just go, yeah, yeah, I believe. I believe that stuff. I believe that. But what many of you mean by belief is this. You believe in Jesus in that he existed. You think, yeah, he existed. He died on the cross. I believe he even resurrected. That's what you see as belief. That's it. But James tells us that even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Even the demons believe in the facts. Even the demons believe that those things happened, but they're not getting saved. And so true belief means that you place your personal trust in him. This means that you surrender your life to him. If I were to frame the question this way, have you ever come to a place in your life where you have said, I know I'm a sinner separated from God because of my sin, and I want to surrender and submit my life to him? Have you come to that place in your life? Because if you have not, I would say you are not a believer. If you've not come to that place in your life, I would say that you just believe intellectually. You have not placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Repentance always comes with it life change. If your life has not changed one ounce because of following Jesus or believing in Jesus, then I'm not sure that you're truly a believer. I'm not sure that you're truly following after Christ. Paul called the Ephesians to believe and to repent. And I think many people say they believe, but true belief leads to repentance. It leads to life change. The third question, will you reach out to those who are not like you? In verse 21 of this chapter, Paul says that he witnessed to Jews and to Gentiles. 